0: to the City Church online. This is where you get all the sermons that you might have missed or you might just want to listen to all over again. Please like, subscribe, remember to share and download this message. Come, let us grow together in Christ. It's really good for me to be here this morning. I was really blessed by your, by your worship. I said to Alex, you know, this is the first time, and I've been to Africa many times and Uganda, but many other African countries as well, I don't think I've ever had a worship service like this on the continent of Africa. (laughs) Amen. It was great. It's fantastic. I love that song. Amen. I love that song. Well, you know, I have a word for you this morning. Uh, Part of it, I'm going to share a little bit about my my story in my message today. And uh, not a lot, but just a little bit. I want to share with you a key that I found is that radically changed my life. And actually, uh, as a young man, when I was your age, actually, uh, I made, I made a, a decision that changed my life forever. Not, not, not just getting saved, but two years after I was saved, I made a watershed decision that absolutely changed my life. And, and, uh, and I'm still living off that decision right to this day. It's directed me my whole life, and I want to share that with you because I believe that it's an important key to your life, and I, and I felt like even in the music that we sang here this morning, that that was really what I was hearing, that that's, that's what you want. You want to live a significant life, amen? You want your life to count for something. How many of you believe that, that God actually has a plan for your life? How many believe that? Let me ask you another question. Do you know what that plan is? you know what it is? you know what God's plan for the rest of your life is? No, you know what? When I was your age, I didn't know it either. And, but I wanted to know. I wanted to know, how do I find out God's plan for my life? Because, you know, you can have, there's two kinds of plans. You can have your plan for your life, and then you can live God's plan for your life. Which one do you want to live? You want God's plan. But the key is, how do I find it? How do I discover that plan? And when I was... When I was in my mid-20s, that was a burning question in my mind. How do I find out, God, what that plan is? Because I want to live it. So let's, but let's back up a bit. One of, the, one of the keys to the whole issue of finding that plan is being a disciple. And so what is, what is that? Let's talk about discipleship for a minute. Now, when Jesus walked this earth, He did not invent discipleship. It had been around for long before him. It wasn't a new concept. The Greeks believed in discipleship, but their discipleship was built around a certain philosophy. You would have a teacher that would give out a certain kind of philosophy, and young people and students would gather to that teacher to learn about that philosophy. And so that was discipleship in the Greek world. And then the Jews, they, they made disciples as well. And their disciples, their disciple was built around the law of Moses. And it was built around understanding the principles that were in, in the law of Moses. And so it was about all about knowledge and learning principles. That's what Jewish discipleship was like. And you would, you would attach yourself to a rabbi, and then that rabbi would teach you his theology or his interpretation of the law of Moses, and so you were disciples of that certain rabbi. And then, of course, John the Baptist came, and he had disciples too. But his disciples were based around a, a message of repentance, actually, in a protest, it was almost like a protest movement, and where John the Baptist was 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 challenging. Uh, the, the society at that time, and especially challenging the Jews and, and the Jewish nation and how they were living and the corruption and the hypocrisy that was in the Jewish nation. And so it, it was actually protesting. He was a radical teacher and leader. And thousands of people became his disciples. And the message was one of turning around and one of repentance. But when Jesus came along, he too uh, was into discipleship, but his discipleship was different. It wasn't about a philosophy. It wasn't about principles. It wasn't about a protest. He invited his disciples to simply be with him. His disciples would say, I want you to come into relationship with me. And his discipleship revolved around that, which was a radical thing because he's saying, Follow me, become like me. Build a relationship with me. I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister. I'm inviting you into an intimate relationship with me. That was absolutely a different kind of discipleship. And that's the kind of discipleship he's inviting you and I into. Is that what we're doing? And so he selected people simply that they might be with him. Now, one of the problems in in my country in North America. Is that we have the idea. Or Christians have the idea. That you can be a Christian. Without being a disciple. Now I don't know if that's a North American problem. Is it a Ugandan problem? Yeah. Alright. We got the same problem. You can be a Christian. Without being a disciple. Right. That you can say a prayer. A sinner's prayer. Invite Jesus into your life. Get your Get your free ticket to heaven, and then just go live any way you want. You have that problem here? We have that problem. Hey, I'm a Christian. I go to church once in a while, I, um, but I do what I want. At the end of the day, I do what I want to do. Amen? It's me first, Jesus second, but I have fire insurance. Amen? I have my ticket to heaven. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not going to hell, but I'm going to heaven, right? And meanwhile, I kind of, you know, I'll take from the Christian world that which benefits me. But basically, I'm living my plan, and I thank God that I have insurance. I have life insurance. Uh, amen. I have eternal life insurance, and I'm and I'm good. That's how I'm going to live. And hey, if I get into some kind of trouble and I need help, I'll get some fellow Christians, or Jesus say, hey, help me, help me, I'm in trouble here, and he helps me, and then I go live my life the way I want to live it. Amen? That's trying to be, that's thinking that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. But you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what Jesus taught, and it's simply not true. God didn't call us to be Christians. In fact, they were first called Christians at Antioch, The Christians did not call themselves Christians. The world started calling them Christians because they looked like Jesus. say, whoa, those are little Christs! They all look like Jesus. They all live like Jesus. They all function like Jesus. We'll call them Christians. And somehow we've got this idea that there's a difference, that I can be a Christian, but I don't have to be a disciple. That discipleship is just for those radical Christians. It's just for those few who are radical and kind of a little bit over the top. It's for those people, but that's not true. God is calling you and I to be His disciple and to follow Him. And so that's serious discipleship. And I would suggest to you that the measure of your discipleship is the reality of your relationship with Jesus. What is your relationship with Jesus? Do you How real? How strong is your relationship with Jesus? And you see, it's a relationship. Based on two things. It's based on obedience and it's based on dependence. Who ultimately at the end do you depend on? Do you depend on you or do you depend on Jesus? Do you depend on other things? Do you depend on your job? Do you depend on other people or do you depend on Jesus? Who do you depend on? And obedience. Who's first? In your life? Is obedient, is Jesus first? Or is he second? Or third? Or fourth? Or fifth? What is your level of obedience to Jesus Christ this morning? How strong is that? How important is that? Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. We're not perfect. There's no perfect believers, right? We're sinners saved by grace. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about genuine relationship with Jesus and dependence on him. It's, it's, a true disciple isn't somebody who's just perfectly obedient all the time and got everything together. A perfect disciple is somebody who's honest, who comes to Jesus and says, you know what, I'm a mess. I'm a mess, I need help. I'm depending on you. Jesus, you gotta fix me. I can't fix me. I'm trusting you to fix me. I'm depending on you. and I want, But in my heart, I want to obey you. I want to, I want to obey you more and more and more. That's what's in my heart. I don't want to just use you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to get to know you better. And I know you have a plan and a purpose for my life, and I want to live it. Amen? That's a disciple. It's not somebody who's Perfect. And so serious, a serious discipleship calls for serious decision. A famous theologian said this, Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. You see, sometimes when we share the gospel, we don't actually share it properly. We say, hey, hey, hey. Why don't you, you're, you're talking to somebody who, who's not a Christian, and you say, hey, uh, hey why don't you become a believer? Uh, all you have to do is say this little prayer, and you can go to heaven. Just say this little prayer. Here, you want to repeat it after me? Jesus, I'm a sinner. I invite you to come in my life. Make me a new person. Thank you. Amen. And then the guy prays that and say, hey, you're in, man. You're in. You have <laughs> eternal life. Now, just go live any way you want. Just go live the way you used to. But hey, you're in. Amen? That's not true. No, it's more than that. Salvation is free. It was paid for. It's a free gift. But discipleship, a true discipleship, will cost you you your life. Because Jesus didn't say, hey, take out fire insurance and I'll see see you later. No, Jesus said, you know what? Salvation is free, but I want your life. I want your life. I want you to turn your life over to me. The whole thing. Not half of it. Not three quarters of it. I want all of it. That's discipleship. Who do you belong to? You see, Jesus, say, well, what right does Jesus have to make that demand of me? Hey, you know what? Jesus paid for you. He bought you. What was the price tag to buy you? His life, a life for a life, amen. He laid his life down, he literally gave his life that you and I would have life. Do you, does he have a right to say, I want your life? Does he, yes, Yes, he does? He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Say, Well, you know, is Jesus that demanding? Gentle Jesus? Yes, he is that demanding. See, well, that was the way he was 2,000 years ago when he walked the earth with the twelve. but, you know, he's mellowed out a little bit. He's not quite so radical as he used to be. You know, he required that of, of uh, Peter, James, and John, but, you know, not now. This is the 21st century. Jesus has lightened up. Uh, You know, he's he's not quite as strong. You think that's true? I got news for you. Nothing has changed. Let me give you, one day Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples. This is in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. Jesus is walking down the road, and this guy comes up to him, and he says this. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. What's Jesus? You know, if somebody said that to Pastor Alex, hey, Alex, I want to come to your church. Hey, I'm just going to follow you wherever you go, man. I'm with you. Alex would probably say, whoo, this is great. Come on, another person added to my church. Whoo. Here's Jesus' reply. He said, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That was his response. Like, oh, I'm sure that guy backed up about five steps. Like, he wasn't expecting that. He, he was expecting a hug from Jesus. Oh, thank you, thank you. Another disciple. I, yeah, I think he was backing up. Say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this? What was Jesus, why did Jesus answer that way? I Meaning Jesus could see right into his heart. He thought, yeah, 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 you want to follow me, uh, but you want to live your life. You don't know, you're not, you don't want to pay the price. You're making a commitment with no intention to pay the price. And he said, no, thank you. Bye. You don't even know what you're talking about. Basically, he said to this guy, you don't even know what you're committing yourself to. Amen. See ya. Well, he went a little further. And he says, and he said to another, follow me. Now, this time, Jesus initiated. He said to this guy, follow me. Be my disciple. And his response was, well, Lord, okay, Lord, yep, yep. But, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, does that sound a little hard? Hey, let, that, let the dead bury the dead. Let, that guy, let the dead bury that guy. I want to go and bury my father. No, 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 you don't have any time to bury your father. You come with me right now. Is that the way you interpret that verse? That's not exactly what's happening here. You see, that guy's father wasn't dead. This is a Middle Eastern saying. They still say it today. What he was saying is this. Hey, let me first go bury my father. What he really meant was this. Let me go home and look after my father until he dies. And when he dies and I have secured my inheritance, then I will come and follow you. That's what that means. And they still say that in the Middle East today. It's a a Middle Eastern idiom. Hey, let me first go bury my father. That's a common saying in the Middle East. And what he's really saying is, I'm going to go home and look after my father, make sure my inheritance is secure, that when he dies, I inherit, and then I will come and follow you. Now does that, make, does that scripture make sense now? And Jesus said, uh-uh, I'm first, not your inheritance, Right? What he was saying is, I'll follow you someday, Jesus, when I got everything secured and I'm financially set, then I'll follow you. Jesus said, no, you won't. (laughs) That's right. Now, you know, many Christians think that many people, when when they're not believers, they, they look at Christianity and they say, why should I become a Christian? Because if I become a Christian, it limits me. God has all these rules and regulations and things that I, I can't do, and I can't do this anymore, and I can't do that anymore. And, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to embrace being a disciple because it's so restrictive and there's so many limitations on us. And, and it seems like everything that's fun, God says no. Right? That's the way people look at it. <clears throat> You see, Jesus intends for us to follow his word. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Does that include Uganda? Yes. Yes. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the the age. Now, when we hear the word obedience, many times we kind of cringe inside. Ooh, there's that word, obedience. Oh, it just kind of makes me uncomfortable. But you see, we have to understand, See, it seems so restrictive. But actually, the opposite is true. Obedience brings true freedom. How many want to be free? I mean really free. You want to be free? You can only be free by obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will set you free. You see, you're going to obey something or somebody, every one of you, including me. You're always obeying somebody. Say, oh, no, no, I'm free. I'm a slave to no one. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? You are serving. You you are already serving a master. Which master do you want to serve? But you are serving. You can serve money. He's called the God of Mammon. He's got a name, by the way. He's called the God of Mammon. You can serve him. You're going to serve somebody or something. And Jesus is saying, why don't you serve me? It'll it'll set you free. Once you obey me. Amen. See the idea of living a Christian life, the idea of living unselfishly, forgiving, caring, attending a church, it seems like a terrible burden. You know, I used to live like that before I got saved. I didn't get saved till I was twenty-four years old. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in an atheistic home. My dad did not believe in God. He was an atheist. When I grew up, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe God existed. I had never been to church, not one time, my whole growing up years. I never had a Bible. I had never even seen a Bible. And so, pardon? In Canada, absolutely. And I didn't didn't believe in God. I thought God was a joke. I thought Christians, I felt sorry for them. (laughs) Those, Those are the guys that don't have any fun, right? I felt sorry for them. I had no idea what I was talking about. One day, I was in my last year of graduating year of university. I went down to the cafeteria to have a cup of coffee before I went home. And I had an encounter with the living God. Boom. And I say, What was that like? Well, here's what it was like. He took over my mind. It'd be like you're sitting at your computer, and a virus attacks your computer, and now your computer's doing things that you are not controlling. That's what it was like, only it was my mind. And I thought, oh my God, what's happening? These thoughts that are in my mind, they're not mine. Somebody's using my mind and I'm watching this happen. It was a, yeah, I was terrified. And what he did is that at that time in my life, I was a very driven, uh, goal-oriented person. I was the top of my class. I had all kinds of dreams about career and making money and what kind of life I would live. I was newly married. My wife was a school teacher. She already had graduated. She was a little bit ahead of me. She was already working as a teacher. We had tons of plans, but it was all about the size of house we were going to live in and what kind of career and what we were going to do with our life. And we had this great life all planned out for ourselves. And what God did in that, when he took over my mind, is he marched me down to the end of my life, to the end where I was going to die. And when he showed me, what he showed me was this. He said, okay, he said, what if you succeed and get all those houses and properties and money? What if you succeed? Then what? You're going to die. Then what? And this sense of futility came over me and I thought, my whole life is pointless. If that's all that life has to offer, even if I succeed at all my plans, I'm going to die. Is that what life is? You, you kind of go through you know, 60, 70, 80 years, you work hard, you gather a bunch of stuff, and then you die. That's life on planet Earth. And so this sense of futility came upon me, and then God asked me two more questions. He said, hey, Dave, what if there is a God? Just what if there is? And the second question was, hey, Dave, what if there's a heaven and a hell? Just what if there is? And then, pop, my mind came back, and I thought, what was that? (laughs) I was terrified. I mean, I was terrified. I grabbed my books. I literally ran out to the parking lot of the university and got my car and drove home and came into our little apartment, and Linda had beat me home, and was preparing her school lessons for the next day, sitting in the middle of the room, doing something she had never done before. She had watching a famous evangelist on TV. And so when I opened the door to my apartment, the finger of this evangelist was pointing right at me. Now that, how, was, how was that for timing, right? And I heard the gospel, but I didn't understand the gospel. It went over my head. But I understood this. I was going to hell. I got that part. And so it's a lot. I won't, I won't share the rest of that story, but the, the rest of the story was eventually um, I decided, I said, you should go to church somewhere because I, I, I got tons of questions and I don't, I think I'm going to hell. In fact, I know I'm going to hell. I wonder if there's any way to escape hell. I didn't know how to escape hell. And, I, and the Lord let me live like that for several weeks, thinking I'm doomed, I'm going to hell. And I was driving really carefully because if I got in a car accident and died, I was going to hell. Amen. <laughs> And so, uh, and so one night we went to a small church, and a, we invited a pastor to come to our house, and we started firing questions at him, and he explained the gospel to me. And when he explained the gospel to me, and I understood it, I said these words. I said, this is the best news I've ever heard. I said, I have to be an idiot not to, not to go for this. And I fell on my knees and repented. And Linda was just sitting in a corner watching me ask all these questions. She never said a word. She just was watching because she wasn't a Christian either. She was watching it. And when I fell on my knees and accepted Jesus, she believed and was saved too at the same time. Right? No. When we got saved, we got saved. Because I'm a black and white kind of guy. I'm an all or nothing. It's either true or it's not true. And, uh... And so if it is true, we're going for it. If it's not true, let's not, I'm not into religion. I'm, not, I'm just not into that. So let's talk about obedience. Is there freedom outside of obedience? Well, I, I read this story one time. It was a true story. And uh, this, this uh, family, this mother and father, they had two children. They had two boys. One was eight and one was ten. So one sa- it was a Saturday, Saturday morning, uh, this mother... Uh, went to wake her eight-year-old son up about 8.30 in the morning, and Say, son, it's time to get up and have breakfast. He said, I'm not getting up. She said, why? He said, I don't feel like it. And she said, uh, well, you have to get up and have breakfast. He said, no, I'm declaring this day a free day. And so then she said, well, what's a free day? And he, this is an eight-year-old. And he says, it's a day where I only do what I want and I don't do anything I don't want to do. That's a free day. And I'm declaring a free day, and I am not getting out of bed. And so she said, okay. She said, "Uh, do you think that 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 should apply to the whole family? And uh, he says, yes. It's a free day for the whole family. And so she said, okay, we'll try it. So he slept in. About 11.30 in the morning, he got up, went down to the kitchen, said, mommy, where's my breakfast? She said, I didn't make you any. I don't feel like it. It's a free day. I'm not making, get your own breakfast. I'm not making you any breakfast. So he had to find some food. He, he, was, he got some food together, and he was sitting down at the table, starting to eat his breakfast, and he looked out the window, and he saw his older, his older brother, a 10-year-old, uh, getting on his bicycle and riding his, starting to ride his bicycle away. So he got up from the table, ran to the door and said, hey, that's my bike. And his brother yelled back, yeah, it's a free day and I feel like riding your bike. (laughs) I'm doing what I want to do. See ya. (laughs) And so the day went. By the end of that day, he no longer was interested in a free day. (laughs) You know, Jesus said this. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Have you ever heard that phrase? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do you believe that? <clears throat> I do too. But we often quote that phrase. You shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. But we don't, we don't actually quote the, ver- the first part of that verse. The first part of that verse says, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's just not, okay, somebody shared some truth to be now I'm free. Uh-uh. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In other words, knowledge does not make you free. You can have all the knowledge you want of the truth, and it will not make you free. It's doing the truth that makes you free. If you don't do it, it doesn't work. You could know all about the truth of, having, of, of marriage and how to have a good marriage. And you could get all the biblical truths about how a husband should treat his wife and how a wife should respond to her husband. You could have all those truths. And you could go to a marriage seminar and say, oh, this is fantastic. But unless you actually apply it to your life, you will never know the freedom that that brings. You could know all the truth about how to handle money. The Bible is full of all kinds of wisdom about how to handle your finances and how to prosper financially. And you can know the truth. And you could go to a seminar and say, I got all this knowledge, I know how to do it. But if you don't do it, it doesn't work. It's doing the truth that sets you free. And knowing implies doing. Let me give you some blessings of obedience and dependence. Number one, obedience brings incredible wisdom. You want wisdom? Become a person of obedience. But it's not the accumulation of the wisdom that makes you wise. You don't become wise until you do it. You know, I have a a great-grandson now uh, who's three years old. He's just... I just love them to pieces. So a, a little while ago, he'd never had a candy in his life. he never had a candy. And so um, his name is Kyrie. And so I said, hey, Kyrie. And I showed him a hard candy. I said, this is a candy. He looked at it, and he had no idea what it was. He, he saw it. It's a candy. I said, it's sweet. And so I, I said, do you want to try it? And so he kind of looked at me. He was a little hesitant. Said, go ahead, put it in your mouth. And it was the first candy he would ever had. Put it in his mouth, I watched him, and his eyes got big. And all of a sudden, whoa, I now know what a candy is, right? And unfortunately, we created a little monster there because now he's working all kinds of plans and ways and manipulations for me to give him more candies, right? (laughs) But he tasted it. He did it. Now he knows it. You see, truth is like that. If you don't do it, you don't become wise without doing it. That's why when Jesus gave his famous sermon on the mount, he said, Those who hear my words and what do them is like a man, a wise man who builds his house on the rock. It's doing them. The path of true wisdom is not doing what you want, it's doing what God wants. Number two, there's happiness and joy and obedience. You know, I read an article where the, this dean of a, of a university uh, wanted, to, wanted to find out who are the happiest students on campus. Who are the happiest students? So he did a survey. You know what he found out? He found out that the musicians and the athletes were the happiest, joy-filled students on the campus. It wasn't the mathematicians or the chemists or the English students. It was the athletes and the musicians. Why? because they are the most disciplined. You can't be a good musician without discipline. Amen? And, and, and so, uh, you, so those are the two groups. You can't be a great athlete if you don't listen to your coach and you don't apply what the coach is saying. Not just hear the coach, but do what the coach says. Those are the best athletes, right? And so those are the happiest people. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. Now, let me say this. How many of you would like to have more joy in your life? Would like to have more joy? I want, to, I want to tell you a secret right now how you can have that. You can have it today. You want more joy in your life? Increase the level of your obedience. Just increase the level of your obedience. You'll become more joyful. You'll experience more joy. I'll guarantee it. Try it. Say, I'm going to be more obedient. In the areas where you've been disobedient, and you know what it is. Try obedience. Just become more obedient. Say, oh, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Read it. Oh, I don't feel like praying today. I'm too tired. But I know I should pray, but I, I don't I don't want to. Make, get, grab yourself by the scruff the next day. You know what? I'm gonna obey. I'm gonna read the Bible and I'm gonna pray. Try it. Hey, I don't feel like going to church this morning. Go to church. Practice obedience in your life. The higher you raise the bar of your obedience, the more joyful you are. The more disobedient you are, the more miserable you are. You're in control of your level of joy. Did you know that? You can control it. You can just turn the dial. It's called obedience. Obedience brings greater intimacy with Jesus. Now, we had a great time of worship this morning, but can I tell you, Worship is not, the, is not the foundation of intimacy. Worship is not the key to intimacy. Obedience is. If you're not obedient and you come here this morning and we sing all these songs, you're lying. You don't mean it. It's just lip service. Amen? It's not worship. You're just singing songs. Your true intimacy comes from your obedience, not from, from worship. Obedience will cause you to worship, and your worship is an expression of your obedience. Amen? If there's a lack of obedience in your life, your worship is a lie. And of course, worship also involves trust. Obedience causes you to live a life that impacts other lives. Are you interested in that? You know, when you're young like you are, the biggest thing in your mind is, I want to be a success. I want to succeed. When you're in your 20s or, you know, majority of you are young, the main thing in your mind, I want to succeed. I want a successful career. I want a successful job. I want to be successful in my life. But as you get older like an old guy like me, and I'm 76 now, when you get older like me, you're not as interested in success. What you're interested in is significance. I want to make an impact. Did my life make a difference? Did my life count for anything? Did anybody know I was here? Did it make any difference? And so its significance? You see, at the end of the day, if you're just success-oriented, you won't be satisfied. I don't care how successful you become. At the end of the day, you will not be satisfied. It leaves you hollow. I remember one time when I first started planting churches, I thought if I could, and I was starting in a rural area, and I had a small church of about 50 people, and I was working hard at it, and it seemed like it was way harder than I thought, and I remember one day thinking, if I could just pastor a church to 300 people, man, I'd be satisfied. Because 300 people church in Canada is a big church. And so one day I got there. One day I pastor a church to 300. And I thought, you know what? Hey, David, are you satisfied? I was not satisfied. And then I realized, you know, it wouldn't really matter how big it was. Whether it was 1,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000, it wouldn't satisfy me. Right there I realized, it doesn't matter what the size, it won't satisfy me. What does satisfy me? Impact. Impact satisfies me. Amen? Significance. You know, what kind of impact did David have? The Bible says about David, he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, and was laid among his fathers. What kind of impact did David have? In spite of the fact that he he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed one of his best friends, he still had impact. Because of his obedient life, a whole nation turned towards God. Israel was never as strong as it was under David. Every king that came after David was measured against him. He was in the lineage that would bring the Messiah. Centuries later, David's impact still is continuing. He, you and I, uh, obedient, God is still called the God of David. Amen. Jerusalem is still called the city of David. Jesus is still called the seed of David. Amen. We have the Psalms that we read, the words of David. 19 centuries later, we're still reading his words. Now that's impact. Amen. Why did he have that impact? He was obedient. And even when he failed, he went right back to his obedience and repented and obeyed. Now let me close with this. Obedience will lead you into the future that God has for you. Obedience will lead you into your future. I don't care what other plans, you can have all the plans you want. That's not going to lead you into God's future. Only one thing will cause you to understand God's plan. And here's how I discovered that. I'll close with this little story. When I was about 25, i I've been a Christian, or 26, i I've been a Christian two years. I was a high school teacher at that time, and, um, and uh, it, was on a, it was on a Saturday one day, I had two little kids, Joel was just a little baby, and uh, I mean, his sister, his older sister was also just a baby, and they were, I was looking after the kids and my wife was going to buy food. So she was out of the house, and so I, my, the kids were asleep, it was their afternoon nap, and I had some free time. So I was sitting in my house, and I was reading my Bible. And I was reading the book of Ephesians, and I read a scripture that absolutely revolutionized my life right to this day. And that scripture was Ephesians chapter one, verse four. And Ephesians chapter one, verse four it says this: He chose you before the foundation of the world. And when I read that, it just kind of leapt off the page at me, and I thought, Did I just read what I think I read? That God, before when there were no planets. When there was no universe, when there was no such thing as time, when there were no stars, when there was nothing, God already knew me by name, already knew who I was, and chose me. Wow. Now, did He? I'm not the only one he chose. Who else did he choose? He you. Yeah. He chose you. Amen? Now, think about that. And as I started thinking about it, I thought, oh, my God. So then I said, if that's true, then God must have a plan for my life. Why would God choose me when there was nothing? And then I just, no plan. That doesn't make sense. So what did I choose? Did I choose my parents? You choose your parents? No. Did you choose the time when you would appear on the planet? No. Did you choose the country in which you would be born? No, you didn't. Did you choose the color of your skin? No. No. Did you choose your personality? No. No. You didn't choose much, did you? So God chose all that. So then as I started thinking about that, did he choose the gift mix that you have? Yes, he did. Did you? Did you choose your gift mix? No, you did not. Did you choose the talent and skills that you have? No, you did not. Which means this. You are perfect perfect. For God's plan. Yeah. You're perfect. Lots of times, especially young people, you look at somebody else who say, Well, you know, why, I wish I looked like them, or I wish I had that gifting, or God, how come I how come I don't have that talent? Or and we compare ourselves to others and we think, I wish I was that person, I wish it was that person. We look in the mirror sometimes, say, I hate myself, I hate the way I look. You know, I, I just, why couldn't I, why couldn't I have been different? Why couldn't I have been like my friend? Listen, don't do that. Stop that. You are perfect for God's plan. You're perfect for what God has in mind. The key is, I just got to find the plan. So I thought, okay, I get that, Lord. How do I find the plan? So I was, I was, I fell on my knees, actually. I was when I read the scripture, I fell on my knees, and so I was praying, I said, "God, God, I've got to have Your plan. And my fear is I would come to the end of my life and die and not have ever lived the plan. What a tragedy that You would go to all, that You would choose me before the foundation of the world, and have this incredible plan, and that You would make me the way You made me, and You would have me show up on the planet at just the right time, in the right place, at the right time for what You have, and then I didn't live the plan." And I come to the end of my life and thought, I wasted the reason why you chose me. What a tragedy. The biggest tragedy of all. So I said, Lord, I do not want to come to the end of my life and then think, oh, my God, I didn't live your plan. I I can't handle that. I can't handle the thought of dying like that, ending like that. So I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Lord. I prayed this prayer would actually change my life and it'll change your life if you mean it. I meant it. I prayed this prayer, and I'm still living off that prayer. The prayer went like this. I said, Lord, I know you have a plan. If you leave it in my hands, I will screw it up for sure. I do not trust Dave Wells. So I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, Lord. I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna trust you. And you do whatever you have to do in me to get me to the finish line and get and cause me to live the life that you planned for me, that when I come to the end of my days, I can die with peace and joy in my heart knowing I lived exactly the way you wanted me to live and did and accomplished those things that you have ordained for me. I'm trusting in you. I'm believing that you're going to do that. My faith is in you. And I said, that's your part. I can't do that. That's your part. I said, here's what I'll do. I said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to take every opportunity that comes to me by itself to serve you and to serve the kingdom. You open any door for me, I will do it. I will never say no to you because I'm afraid. I will never say no to you because I've never done it before. I will never say no to you because I don't think I can do it. I will never say no to you because it's too small. And I'll never say no to you because it's too big. The answer is yes. What's the question? It doesn't matter whether I'm, I'm stacking a chair on a Sunday morning or sweeping the floor. It doesn't matter. If somebody hands me a broom, I'm sweeping the floor. If somebody says, hey, it's time to stack the chairs, I'm in there. I'm stacking the chairs. I still stack, stack chairs in our church right now. I do it. Still do that. So I was, I got up. I said, Okay. And uh, so when Linda came home, my wife came home uh, a couple hours later. She walked through the door. I said this to her. I said, hey, Linda, you stick with me and you'll live an exciting life. (laughs) And so she didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) You stick with me, you'll live an exciting life. Because can I tell you something about God? He's crazy. He's the wildest person in the universe. He's the most radical person in the universe. You want excitement? You hitch your wagon to him. You, you put your hand on his hand, go where he goes. Believe me, you will not be bored. So I said, hey, stick with me. So we laughed. Three days later, I got a phone call. And I picked the phone up. And it was a guy on the phone. I, I never heard him. I never knew. I didn't know this guy. He was a pastor, not my pastor. He was a pastor in the, in the city in which I lived. And he said, hey, Dave, we've been discussing you at our local ministerial meeting. I said, what? You have? I said, why? Well, because you're in, the high, you're in a large high school, the largest high school in our region, and kids are coming from all the surrounding area are bused into this school. You are a Christian, and we would like you to start a Christian youth ministry in the school and, and encompassing all the other youth groups of all the other churches, and we're behind you, and we want you to start a youth ministry out of the high school and lead it. And I'm I'm frozen. I have never led anything. I have I'm not I'm not a leader. I haven't done anything in leadership. I'm just a brand new Christian. And I was going to say no. I mean, just the thought of it terrified me. I, I was just going to say no, and the Holy Spirit said these words to me. What did you say to me three days ago? And you know what my response was? It's just like it all happened in split second. Oh my God! He heard that prayer. And I, I realized right there. God, I threw the gauntlet down and God picked it up, said, okay, you're on. You're on. I'll do my part. Are you going to do yours? And so I stood there for a minute, frozen. And I thought, if I say no to this, I wasn't serious three days ago. I wouldn't have a clue how I'm going to do this, but I heard myself saying, okay, I'll do it. I hung the phone up. I was terrified. I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so I, was, I started comparing myself to other youth guys, pastors that I knew. They're always handsome, guitar playing, singing, good guys. Like the guys are up here, right? Um, I thought, I'm not one of those. I can't do any of that. I don't have any of those skills. And one day the Lord came to me and said, hey, Dave, why don't you just be yourself? Yeah. Just be you. I'm not asking you to be that guy or this guy. or Just be yourself. So I did. I went to the school. First thing I did is I started a prayer meeting in my classroom at noon hours. Seventy kids there are showing up. Uh, all of a sudden, one day, I was in a food line uh, at a banquet, and the guy was a guy behind me who happened to be the mayor of our city and was the chairman of the school board. And he was a believer. He came up to me and said, hey, Dave, I, we were really glad that you're a Christian in our high school. He says, I'm going to talk to your principal to turn the whole building over to you on weekends, and you can do whatever you want in that school. I'm going to tell your principal to leave you alone and that you can do whatever you want in that school. You have a free hand. Wow. Amen. And so I did. You know what? We had revival for three years. I had a revival in the school. Kids getting saved. I had started small groups all over the valley. I had small groups. I had Christian camps. I got all tons of them unlocked. I do coffee houses at in the weekends and bring in contemporary music, Christian music groups, sharing the gospel. I would pack it out. It would be packed with non-believers getting saved. It just exploded. Right? And so, you know what? And so then I, then one day after three years of that, the Lord said, okay, stop that. I had a vision. Uh, one night when I were praying, I had a vision, first vision I ever had. And I saw a half a man just from the waist down. And I had three millstones on my right leg. And I was dragging my leg like this. And the Lord spoke. I knew it was me in the vision. There was no upper body, but I knew it was me. And the Lord said to me, that's your walk in Christ. This is your walk in Christ, Dave. So I got angry, in the vision, I started I started arguing, saying, God, how can that be me? You know how fired I am about you. How can that be me? And all of a sudden, boom, the vision ended. So Linda was still praying. I said, whoa, 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 Linda, stop. And I said, I had a vision. I think it was a vision. You were gone. I saw this man, but obviously those three millstones are a real hindrance to me. What are those three stones? And so we talked about it, and then Linda had a bright idea. She said, why don't we stop and ask God to tell us what those three stones are? That was a smart idea, right? I need my wife for that. So we prayed, and the Lord spoke to Linda and said, I'll tell you what the three stones are. Number one, your job, which I love my job. Number two, the youth ministry that you're having a revival in. Number three, the church. I was an elder in that church and preaching a lot in that church. The three most fruitful areas of my life were those three stones. The Lord says, they all got to go. If you, if you hang on to those things, it will hinder your walk in Christ. I thought, how could this be? Within a year, it was all gone. I won't go into that. A year later, it was gone. I went out and planted my first church, right? If I'd held on to those things, I wouldn't have planted that church. And away it went. Several years later, I'll just tell you this one thing. Several years later, Linda and I were in the Philippines, and uh, we were in an outrigger canoe, overloaded. We were preaching the gospel there. I was doing youth camps in the Philippines, and uh, Linda was with me, and we were in this overloaded canoe, and we got caught in a wild storm on the South China Sea. We're in a little canoe, and, we, and there's huge waves, 20-foot waves. And, and we have no life jackets, and we're overloaded, and the water's full of sharks. And, and, and every wave is breaking over the canoe. My wife's standing right in front of me. And uh, in the middle of this storm, my wife turned around to me in a very calm voice. She said, you know, Dave? This time, it's a little too exciting. Remember when I said to her, stick with me, you'll live an exciting life? She said, you know, this is a little too exciting. I want to say I've been all over the world. I've been in, in Africa, Asia, Europe, Eastern Bloc Europe, South Pacific, Central America, United States, Canada, several countries in Africa. If you'd have told me when I got on my knees that day and prayed that prayer, that my life would go like that, I would never have believed you in a million years. Those thoughts had not even entered my mind. Can I tell you, the plan that God has for you has never yet entered your mind. It's better than anything you would have ever do. You know, I'm an old guy now, so I have people coming to me, and I had a, somebody came and asked me a question and said, Hey, Dave, you're getting towards the end of your journey. You know, how's your life gone? Uh, did your life turn out the way you wanted I thought about it for a minute. I said, you know what? My life turned out better than I thought it would. Way better. Way better. God's plan is out of this world. Hey, I'm just an ordinary person, just like you. I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy that got on his knees one day. I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll take every opportunity to serve you. The answer is yes. What's the question? Why am I here today? I'll tell you why. Uh, I went through COVID. I'm an old guy now. My wife doesn't want me to travel anymore. And uh, she thinks I'm too old. Um, so, and I'm, you know, so all of a sudden the phone rang and Pastor Peter was on the phone and said, oh, Do I want you to come to Uganda and do this? And I hesitated and thought, Should I? Shouldn't I? And then, uh, then I thought, He asked, What's the answer? Yes. yes, here I am. Why am I here this morning? Pastor Alex, hey, Dave, would you come over and preach in our church? He asked. I'm here. Amen? I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me. I know we're a pastor time here. Um, I want to challenge you. You know what? How many of you would like to pray a prayer like that? But let me warn you. Let me warn you. If you... If you're going to pray it, you've got to mean it. Because you know what? God will test you right away. Do you mean it or not? And he'll test you on it. And he'll scare the daylights out of you. Right? He will stretch you. He will scare you. Amen? But if you pray it, and you make that kind of commitment to Jesus, to be that kind of disciple, fasten your seatbelt. Amen? Because he'll start moving in your life in a little... Come through opportunities. Some of those opportunities will scare the daylights out of you. Some of those opportunities will be away way over your head. You know what? I have lived over my head my whole life. Since praying that prayer, I'm over my head. It's beyond me. I need God. I need grace. But what a way to live. What a way to live. I have never been bored. Not one second. In fact, at times, it's too exciting. Say, God, you're going to give me a heart attack if you keep this up. Right? If you mean that, I'm going to lead you in that prayer. Maybe some of you might want to come down the front if you're real serious and pray that prayer with me. If you feel like you want to come down and say, God, I'm, I'm changing my life right now. I'm changing my life right now. I'm going to give you, I'm going to offer my life up to you. I'm going to offer my life up to you. I mean it. I want that life. I want to live a radical life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, just follow me in prayer. Jesus, I'm standing before you this morning. And Lord, I know you have a plan for me. I know you do. Because you chose me before the foundation of the world. Lord, I want that plan. I've got to have it. And so, Lord, I don't trust myself. I trust you Lord would you show me grace would you direct my footsteps would you change my heart would you work in my mind and in my life and cause me to live your purpose and your plan thank you Lord that I'm alive today and you put me here thank you that I am the person that I am because I'm perfect for what you have and Lord, I'm going to make a promise to you. I, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And Lord, I will go through every door that you open for me. I will take every opportunity that comes to me. Whether it's small or big. It doesn't matter the size. I will not pick and choose as to what I will do and what I won't do. If you open the door I will go through it I will not force open any doors myself I will never say no to you because I'm afraid and I will never say no to you because I've never done it before the answer is yes now you asked me the question Lord I we mean that with all of our hearts we put our life in your hands, in Jesus' name. This audio Summon has been brought to you by The City Church. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us on 0706-332-572 or 0776-579-679.